What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hey guys, it's Sean here to introduce you to another bonus episode of Real Blend. And this time we are plugging into the red hot show on HBO Max, The Last of Us. And we have cinematographer Eben Bolter, uh, who we reached out to on social media because we've been so impressed by the work that he's been doing uh, on episodes three, four, and then five, which just ran, that we wanted to get a, t- a chance to speak with him about bringing the world of the video game to life uh, and him being an enormous fan of the game and how he lobbied to sort of get his position there. And then a lot of the work that they're doing on The Last of Us to just capture this sort of naturalistic look that is, uh, again, sort of inherent to the games and is a big part of why it's a uh, it's popular on HBO Max, because I think people who are either diehard uh, fans of the game or new to the world are really tapping into this post-apocalyptic, you know, I won't use the word zombie. I know they don't like to use the word zombie, but this this sort of half horror, half survivalist mode uh, that is conveyed a lot through the visual language that someone like Eben is able to to get into. Uh, one of the things we discussed, too, with him is uh, when you are working on a show how you sort of pick up the baton from from one filmmaker and then pass it to someone else after you're done with your run of episodes. Uh, And then he talks a lot about the work he did on episode three, which was that tremendous piece um, that was sort of isolated, uh, broken off from the main story that gave a really great look at um, these two people who had come together uh, in this really difficult time and sort of reminded everybody what's so um, human about the the thing that people are going through in The Last of Us. So uh, I want to get right to his conversation because he's really terrific. A very talented filmmaker references uh, a lot of Conrad Hall. Of course, we get into some road to perdition conversation, uh, but really just getting a chance to burrow deep into someone who's working on The Last of Us right now uh, and and talk a bit about why that show is so popular on HBO Max. So without further ado, this is Eben Bolter, the cinematographer for The Last of Us, specifically on episodes three, four and five. Thank you very much, uh, Eben Bolter, for joining our Real Blend podcast to talk about The Last of Us. Uh, Eben shot episodes three, four and five, which are we're going to dive into uh, very heavily here on, on this particular episode of our podcast. But primarily, I'm really, really I mean, I love three, four and five, but I have so many questions about three that since, ever since I saw three because it was such a beautiful episode. Um, but for our audience who might not know you, I mean, obviously, they, they're now watching your work and they're seeing the beautiful cinematography that you've put out into the world with The Last of Us, especially like that strawberry scene in the, in the third episode is one of the most beautifully lit moments I've seen in the show. Um, but tell our audience maybe just a brief story about you. I, I believe you have UK and US dual citizenship um, and you work in both uh, worlds or both environments. So talk about maybe just your story and kind of how you got to where you are right now, because I think a lot of people are finding your work maybe for the first time uh, through this show. 
yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's, it's great to, to chat with you all. Um, so yeah, I, I'm. Uh, I've got a. Uh, I've got an American mom. I've got a British dad. This is like my <laughs> life story. Um, and um, <laughs> I, I, I'd always been a, a cinema nerd, a film buff, whatever. Um, and that was always this magical thing that superhuman people made, and I knew nothing about that world. So, I, I was like all of you collected films love films and i always thought maybe the thing that i could do is like own a cinema or or get into mm. sales and distribution I, I can do something with my love of cinema um but at the same time i was like an amateur photographer so just taking photographs and, and actually like taking classes and, and really getting into photography and it took until i was about 27 years old like a real idiot to realize how much overlap there was and and you know i just like I figured out what a cinematographer was. It sounds so ridiculous, but but it's true. Um, and that I had a lot of the photographic knowledge from photography and I knew a lot about shots and blocking and cinema history. And I kind of just figured out that there was this thing that maybe I could do and started shooting shorts and just started shooting and shooting. And um, people said, maybe you should go to film school. Maybe you should get into the camera department and learn like a trainee or whatever. And neither of those things really made sense to me and my journey. I actually just thought I'm already doing it. I'm, I'm a DP. I'm a cinematographer now. I'm probably the worst in the world, but I'll get better on everything I do. And I just kept shooting and shooting and shooting. And, um, you know, really long story short, I shot over a hundred short films. Um, yeah. That, that led to starting to shoot low budget feature films that leads to an agent that leads to TV. And I'm still on that journey. Um, it's mm. just more people watch my stuff now. I feel like there's a lot, there's a moment where you start discovering how much you love film or you love film through a certain shot. I remember mine yeah. was Terminator 2 Judgment Day. I was like, how do they do that? How was that done? <laughs> was there a shot you remember seeing that kind of awakened that for you, that kind of awakened that uh, love of, you know, filming and kind of what a what a shot can do uh with you know with no words what a, what a shot can convey to an audience yeah yeah uh, my my moment was sat in the cinema 10 years old 1993 watching jurassic park um okay. i sat next to my sister who's three years younger than me and i remember realizing how terrified my sister was and being the big brother i remember pretending to not be scared myself <laughs> I was aware <laughs> of the power that this thing had over me. And I, I then, I think maybe one of my parents said something about Steven Spielberg and E.T. or there was some association to someone had made this. And that was the first time I was like, huh, who's this Spielberg fella? Um, and, <laughs> and, you know, then it was Raiders. You know, I had a VHS of Raiders that I probably watched a hundred times, like you all probably did too. Um, <laughs> and I just went on a bit of a filmmaking odyssey with Spielberg, just watching everything he had done and figuring out why I loved it so much. Uh, Terminator 2, VHS, Alien, Aliens, Blade Runner. You know, I was just discovering all these cinematic masterpieces on a 4-3 television on VHS, which is yeah. uh, that's a the way they're meant to be seen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the way they were intended. <laughs> but isn't it interesting? I, we, I talk about this a lot, that I first saw Blade Runner on a VHS in 4-3. Mm. And I loved it. And it blew my mind. And I saw it the worst way possible. And it's still like that. <laughs> and so I don't know. I, I always have that in the back of my mind of when people are like, oh, you've got to, got to see it on the la, 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 la. And it's like, well, yeah, I'm sure it's incredible there. But I yeah. could probably fall in love with it. I mean, here's the thing. And I'm not saying watch films on your iPhone. My iPhone would give me a better version of Blade Runner now 
than how I fell in love with it on VHS. That's interesting. <laughs> sure. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Thing, isn't it? Um, I've never seen yeah. Lawrence of Arabia on a big screen, but I have no doubt that it's still a classic. <laughs> Me too. I, I would say it's close to my favorite movie, and I haven't seen right. it uh, theatrically, which feels. Oh, dude. I mean, could you imagine seeing that in 70 millimeter? Could you imagine a 70 millimeter projection of that? Oh, my God. When I went to LA for the, the Last of Us premiere, I missed, there was a screening, I think, on January the 3rd, and I, I got there January the 6th. Every time I come to LA, I try and see it, and I've always missed it. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's elusive for some stupid reason. Um, Eben, I want to get specifically into how you get into The Last of Us, because I really think that what makes the show so successful is that it's being worked on by fans of the game. And I heard you talk about in an interview uh, that you loved the game and you really enjoyed playing it. And that when you found out it was going to become a show that you lobbied hard to to get, you know, the the ability to collaborate on it. And then you used a line in an interview where you're just like, my agent worked a miracle. And I was like, no, 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 no. I want I want details because, uh, you know, there are people who love certain properties and I'm sure yeah. they're out there wanting to get a chance to uh, contribute creatively to them. How exactly yeah. did you get your your work in front of the right people? What did you show them that maybe convinced that you were like, this is going to be this is the best the best representation of what I can do and how I can contribute to this world. Uh, yeah, well, um, timing, luck, passion. Th those are the yeah. three things I um, when it was announced. I don't want to repeat myself from what I've said before, but really, I was getting messages from friends saying your dream job has just been announced. And wow. I took all those messages, forwarded them to my agent. And I was like, I really can't stress enough how much this is a dream job not just the last of us but craig mazin and where i was at my career i'd worked with hbo a few times at that point i felt like i was in a position where i'm not just sort of begging for a favor i actually felt a bit of protection over it um in that if they're gonna do it i just want to be on the inside to just have my little help it because i really think i can like i, I understand right. the world and i think um you know the ins and outs of how my agent got me the interview uh I, I mean i think she knew uh rose who was our exec producer personally and pretty much i think asked for a favor for just rose to speak to me probably okay. just to sort of be like let's shut him up and let's just have a chat um <laughs> and i think in that interview i think probably just my genuine passion for it came across and that led to like a two-hour interview with craig and neil and the hbo execs where again it was like i was basically pitching in a way my version of how i would approach it things that i wouldn't do things i i thought would make sense and during that call i just felt there was a lot of nodding happening there was a lot of okay. craig smiling and nodding and neil smiling and nodding and when i hung up after this two-hour conversation i mean the first thing i did was phone my wife and I was like, if I haven't got this, I, I just don't like that. That was just the most incredible interview I've ever had. There's no way I'm not getting this job. That's how I felt. And I'm not a sort right. of arrogant person at all. But I was like, there's no way I haven't got this job. We just like, it was like a perfect first date or whatever. Um, <laughs> it, it, was, it was love at first sight, you know, like surely, surely. Was it encouraging not... for you to also hear, you know, the right things from them also? Because, well, yeah, you know, these totally. are the people who were in charge. Totally. Well, the way the conversation went was very much, so what would your approach be? Like, you know, I did most of the speaking, at least for the first mm -hmm. half of the call. So, yeah. So, so I mean, you know, uh, to me, the world of The Last of Us, um, the world itself is so cinematic. The situation mm -hmm. is so cinematic that the visuals shouldn't be, they shouldn't be slick Hollywood James Cameron cinematic, let's say, because that's putting 
in my view, that's putting a layer of slickness and cinema on top of an already slick and cinematic world. And it could start gotcha. to sort of break the illusion and suspension of disbelief. And I felt that The Last of Us, what kind of makes it different is the kind of grounded, gritty, uh, verite reality. So handheld camera, more naturalistic lighting, that kind of slightly documentary feel of a cinematic world is what The Last of Us is, in my opinion. Um, and that's what they wanted. So, it, I, yeah, I got, you know, luck, timing. I think career-wise, like I said, I'd worked with HBO enough times that I had a tick from them. Um, and yeah, I just, I don't know. I don't know. It just happened. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. You know, Evan, one thing I want to I point out to our audience, I, it's really fascinating. When you're watching a series, you get different directors and different cinematographers who step yeah. in for different episodes. Um, but your first episode in the show happens to be what I would consider to be the masterpiece of the show at the moment. I mean, I love everything I've seen so far, but that episode hit me on a level that I can't even describe. Um, and, but so I, first of all, I want to know how you know or how you get the job to go on three first. Like, how do they say, all right, Evan, you're going to direct this episode. I mean, the first two were wonderful, but then you also have to kind of keep the tone of those first two from a, from a visual standpoint. So I would, I would imagine you have to see some of that footage or if it's shot nonlinear, I have no idea. But how do you know, okay, all right, three, four and five are mine. Three is going to be this extremely special episode. Um, mm. But there's just so much that has to go right and wrong from the first two that you can continue the visual style, but then also make it your own. But yeah, how does that work? How does that operate? Yeah. Yeah. It's a good question. It's different on every job. Um, so you have to go in open-minded and you have to listen a lot and ask a lot of questions. Um, on this job, I, I asked that question myself to the producers, like, you know, I'm, if I'm not doing episode one, Am I am I copy pasting what's happened on episode one? Because you're right, it was nonlinear. That the order we actually shot was one, then three, then seven, then two. Wow. It was what mostly oh, wow. because of the weather, because of actors, all these things, you know. But you at least uh, had one done, so you knew one, one was up front. But when one was happening, I was in heavy prep on on three as it is now. Wow. So we were sort of working flat out almost simultaneously. And what Craig wanted, what Neil wanted, you know, we'd done all of our talking about what the show was going to look like. And we had, we basically, I'd been hired because my interpretation of the material in the world and what they wanted is what they wanted. The same could be said for the other DPs on the series. So we all were kind of hired for what Craig thought we would bring to the series, but we didn't actually speak to each other very much it's kind of surprising i mean i i i you know i was around when Ksenia. i mean Ksenia was shooting she shot episode one while i was prepping and i probably met her like two or three times and, and had like brief chats about you know what are you doing but it wasn't like this is what you have to do these are the rules we just had our own interpretation of that um and if ever i mean craig mays and our showrunner was on set every single day um and before i started the job he has this 130 page pdf document that i swear i hope he releases it as like a book one day because it's just art it's absolutely beautiful not just the visuals but the words like it's basically his Bible for my version of The Last of Us. And it's just oh, stunning. Wow. Um, and a, a lot of the decisions are in there. A lot of the visual touchstones are in that document. So, you know, Ksenia took that, I had that, Nadim, who shot the end of the series, had that. And we all just kind of put our little spin on it. 
And each episode was treated like a movie. I mean, you know, with our directors, we really could just approach it as our own film. Um, and we really, if I'm honest, we didn't look backwards much at all. And we didn't really look forwards much at all. We just sort of told our story in the moment. And then Craig's there as the through line for the whole series to if we wander off somewhere to pull us back. But that didn't really happen. Um, yeah, I, you know, we shot it the way we wanted to. And I think it fits in organically. Yeah. But with three particular, do you, you yeah. obviously know that this is going to be a special episode. That you, there's no way you don't. Um, yes. and, and like the visual cues of that episode are so brilliant. I mean, even down to the the plate being turned at the end as, as it's delivered again, signifying the, the first meal they had together. Um, yep. But there's so many little details like that are so that are so striking. And then the and then but I will. But I did want to ask you about the strawberry scene real fast, because I yeah. is Nick's Offerman's giggle in that scene improved. Uh, what's the answer to that question? Yeah, yes. Okay, well, what I can tell you, an anecdote about that giggle is I'd heard it once before. I'd heard it once before when just before every episode, we would go out for a, a meal. So for the episode three meal, I happened to be sitting next to Nick uh, and we were we were served this Japanese steak that was incredibly tender and he ate it and he did that giggle. And <laughs> it, it, it was as as touching in real life. <laughs> And whether that's where he found that giggle, whether that's just an Offerman thing, I don't know. He's right. such a wonderful man. But I I feel like on take one, that giggle just naturally came out of him. Um, I wow. don't think it's scripted, uh, you know, I could actually check, but I don't think it was scripted. Um, it's just, it was just, they were in that world. They were in those characters. <sighs> that was such an organic scene. Oh, <sighs> you know. Loved it. Yeah. Literally organic because it was grown, <laughs> grown, grown strawberries. Yeah. Really really <laughs> um, so I want to discuss the idea of dirtying up, you know, the look of what you guys are trying to get um, because yeah. you're shooting in natural elements uh, yeah. and you're control you're controlling it to a certain aspect. Um, mm -hmm. But you have to deal with what you're what you're getting in the moment. What are some of the tricks uh, and some of the techniques that you guys are able to use to get the finalized look that you're trying to capture. Yeah, so so that's like a, that's like a huge compliment you just gave me, maybe without realizing, because actually so much of it is fake. <laughs> uh, mm. So every single interior is on a soundstage with blue screen outside the windows. You know, there's not yeah. a single real room in The Last of Us. Definitely not in episode three. There's maybe like. 10 sprinkled across the series but you have to do 20 years of aging to a room so there's no point just destroying an actual room you just build everything so so wow. on episode three in particular it's all about how do we use weather how do we use seasons how do we use nature to mm. embellish the story and so you just do your work you, you look at it you look at the 20 year period you look at the scenes you look at what's happening in their relationship in the outside world and you pick your moments to say, okay, strawberries is magic hour. And the sun, we need the sun to be in this perfect little spot. We'll give ourselves 15 minutes to shoot it. We're going to get all this pollen in the air and do all these little tricks to make it right. that moment. And then at another time, like the at the end, um, when it's the Max Richter, you know, montage, uh, you know, we, we were like, this is this is the end. So let's do late autumn, leaves on the ground big wind machine there's a visual poetry to that 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 kind of bookends their story um and and then yeah for the interior work it's it's just 
using all of the experience and whatever that I've built up to make those sets feel like true locations that no one would ever question. So usually wow. that's a case of restraint. It's usually a case of rather than let's make this room look hyper brilliantly lit let's just create a real sky let's create real bounce off the grass and let's put the sun in a real place and let's not cheat very much if at all this is let's just treat it like a real location um and that's going to make it feel organic and 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 connected rather than usually it's that sort of the falseness comes from doing too much that's where Mm. people kind of go this I call BS. This isn't well, right. Real. It takes you out of the moment. And and yeah. so far I can say there hasn't been a single beat over the course of the story where I've been like, uh, cause we watch so much, you know, sure. that you're like, sure. yeah, yeah. Oh, set. Oh, that's where the camera was yeah, yeah. just inherently, you know, <laughs> and yeah, yeah. you don't in this, you're immersed completely. And so cool. another example may, maybe is in episode four, uh, where they're on their road trip, um, in the car. Half of that is shot on a soundstage. Half of that is shot on location. And oh, wow. really, maybe now I've said that you may be able to pick some of it out. <laughs> but the, the thing is, if you go out on the road and you stick a camera on them in a car and you shoot, it's real. So it's going to work. So it doesn't even yeah. matter what happens. It's real. And you've always mm-hmm. got. So, so then when you get onto the stage and you've got blue screen and you're not out on the road, you just have to introduce all of the flaws that you get out on the road. So it's bumpier mm-hmm. than you expect. The lighting isn't exactly what you'd want. You know, you just have to do all that work to make it worse so that it reads as the same, which is real. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the truth. So awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So I do want to tell our audience we are going to be diving into spoilers for episodes three, four and five. I know five is pretty fresh right now. We do want to get into the Sam and Ellie moments. So we'll dive into that a little bit uh, a little bit uh, later in this interview. But um, I do want to go back a little bit to uh, episode three, but overarching the idea of utilizing shots directly from the show or from the game. Um, And to me, like you've done a really good job of like not you do them. And when you do them, they're impactful, but then they're not being done all the time. And like. But like there are moments even in the first episode, which I know you didn't shoot, but the first episode when we're in the car driving, it mm. just feels like you're and, and the way the the way we're like looking through the window, it feels like you're in a cinematic of a video game, but in the most immersive way possible. Um, but at the end yeah. of the third episode, you do have a shot that is iconic to the game where, you, where you're pulling back from the window. Um, and it's a really beautiful thing. One, I love that we didn't see their bodies. Um, in the bed. I thought that was a, a beautiful choice. I didn't play the game, so I'm not sure how that plays out in the game. I know that that storyline's a little is, is different in the game, where it's not as it is drawn out in the, in the in the in the show as it is. But how do you decide when you're going to do an exact shot or or an exact yeah. shot from the game? And um, do you discuss this is the perfect moment to do it? And and then in a shot like that, when you're pulling back from the window, do you have the game shot right next to your monitor? And are you are you mimicking it that way? Is it is it that obvious or am I just kind of reading into it like that? No, no. So um, so the way we approached it is we never we were never forced to do anything. There was never a case of you have to copy the shot. And equally, it was never a case of you have to avoid the shot. So Mm -hmm. you just approach every scene on its own terms. Like the game was the game and it was a a masterpiece and it exists and it's brilliant and we can't Mm -hmm. 
which that, that you can't deny that that is what it is um so but now in our new reality in this new adaptation things are different um and so sometimes the entire scene is different so obviously it's going to feel different we're going to do different shots but sometimes you end up with joel and ellie in a truck having a very similar conversation and she's doing exactly the same action and the right place to put the camera is usually naughty dog <laughs> Good. Neil Druckmann's pretty good. They've they've pretty yeah. much <laughs> the right place for the camera, and so if then it so then again it's not a case of oh let's make it exactly the same, and it's also not a case of let's not do it because Neil did it in the game because mm. both of those two things are kind of absurd. You just do the right shot, and it's fascinating how often it's the same shot. So we never, ever pulled up. I mean, I guess maybe a couple of times, to be fair, like something like the window shot in episode three, um, which is there's a bit of a story to how we got to that shot. But the we did definitely bring up the window shot on our phones to just look at the angle. And we actually uh, did like a mirror image of it for that reason. Um, oh. It's it's not, you know, the, the, the game is left to right and we went right to left. Uh, just, to, just to, you know, just... And that, again, it's not... We're not trying to like... I don't know. That's just, it's just one of those things. It just organic. It felt right. It felt right. And and it felt, it made sense to seeing Joel and Ellie uh, driving out. And it just, that was the shot. So that's the shot. Um, What's the story that got there you mentioned? Um, well, uh, so we were going to, Craig's already said this, so I, I'm pretty sure I'm allowed to say it. Um, there was an idea that every episode was going to have a window shot as its title page. So you'd click on okay. episode one on, episode, on HBO Max and the window would come up and then you'd press play or whatever. But there'd be like a kind of screensaver holding page and it would be nine different windows, one for each episode that, that That's would cool. mean something later on. So there was always this assignment of there's going to be a window. I'm pretty sure it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't in the script which window it would be. It was just you need to find a window shot in the episode so it was clear that it was going to be a bill and frank window and then um we thought well at the beginning it's kind of a window and it's actually kind of meaningless because we don't know where we are or whatever and i guess if you watch it twice you might go oh wow that's bill and frank's house but you don't know when necessarily so mm -hmm. we thought for our episode wouldn't it be cool if we finish if we started with the still shot of the window uh, without the move, without uh, maybe not even seeing the picture in the dead flowers, because that, you know, might hint at too much, but just that window. But then also bookend it with another window shot, which is exactly what you saw. Um, so we did all the work to do that shot, to do both versions for the beginning and the end. And they, Craig and Neil decided they didn't like the idea in the end of doing their beginning window shots, but our ending shot we'd already done and it still worked thematically and everyone loved it so it remained so it was one of those yeah damn awesome. man i love that really shot cool. oh my god <laughs> yeah um evan yeah. you mentioned uh as an inspiration of yours uh conrad hall and you can't just name drop conrad hall and not <laughs> not open up a, a huge treasure trove of discussion i'm gonna do you, he, we got a visual here oh what is that? <laughs> wait, 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 why is Conrad's name on there? So basically, um, uh, this is from the rap party of The Last of Us, and it's a survival kit. It's actually got bandages and stuff in it, and they were personalizing <laughs> them. And basically, my second child, my son, was conceived whilst making The Last of Us, and we named okay. him Conrad.
So, oh my God. Uh, partly because of Conrad Hall. So at the rap party, I was like, I'm going to give this to him one day. It's a nice thing to do. Uh, and That's so incredible. <laughs> That's awesome. That is great. Oh my gosh. Well, I want you to talk a little bit about um, what, what elements of Conrad Hall have you brought to this show? What are some things that you really love about his visuals that you want to make sure you brought some of it into this world? Yeah. Um, I mean, humanity is, is the sort of answer that instantly comes to mind. He, he was so emotionally connected to what characters were doing. He knew when to, he knew when to do a lot with the camera and he knew when to do nothing with the camera. He knew where to be for story, for emotion. He knew he, he just, uh, Comrade Hall was so connected to actors. Um, and, and I, learned through him you know indirectly and and understood what he was doing with that and it's something I, i've sort of become very passionate about now is that it's there's no point doing great visuals on a bad scene um in fact the exact opposite is so much better even as a cinematographer so now it's a case of figuring out what the greater good is to make a scene great so something like the piano scene in episode three mm. if you know, that is all about two humans connecting, emotion, performance. There's so much happening there that if my approach had been, okay, I want the lighting to be absolutely perfect, one camera, and we're just going to be on Murray, and that's it. And we just need just seven seconds for this one shot. The environment would be so false and stale. And they're great actors. I'm sure it still would have been a great scene. But that, it's just the wrong approach. So what we did instead is let's have three cameras. We're going to do Nick and Murray at the same time and a two shot. Um, we get so and and don't and basically the lighting is going to be a much worse version than it could be. But we're going to get a much better performance. We're going to see the reactions. We're going to play it like a play. And that's one of my favorite scenes in the whole episode. And yet, if you took a screen grab of it, it's fine. It's fine. Like it's not. It's not. Gotcha. You know. But but that yeah. sometimes is my job, and I think Conrad Hall did that, and and sort of inspired me with that philosophy. Um, and it's more and more I realise I just want to work on great projects and be a piece of the puzzle, and it's less important to me that shots are beautiful, great that they when they can be, great if they are, but it's not the number one priority for me. Yeah. This is a quick follow up. What's which one yeah. of the Conrad Hall's films would you love to have? Uh assisted on oh god uh Rhodes perdition um i think perdition yeah. is is just i mean thomas newman's score mixed with those visuals is right. just like it's well i think it's, it's breaking really my heart that our third host uh jake hamilton can't be here that's his that's his all-time favorite show and really yeah. we yeah. have been a movie and we have been lucky enough to have uh tom hanks as a guest on the show and yeah. we always bring it up to him and he is always surprised that we're bringing it up to him because it's one that people don't talk about. And Tom yeah. Hanks's first reaction when he goes, you know, that's one that's really special to me. It was shot by Conrad Hall, guys. <laughs> yes, we we know. We know it was. <laughs> really true. I mean, yeah, the perdition and and, and um Butch and Sundance. I, I yeah, you like I I think uh, you know in fact, God, there's so many that he did that were great. Wait, did gonna... he shoot the hustler? Or the mm. color of money? Or am I am I wrong on? Am I no, wrong on I that? He, no, I don't believe he did. All right, someone let me know. I, 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 let me. Let me I, I'm curious who shot the hustler on the color of money. I thought he was Bush involved Cassidy, in this. Um, Definitely Bush yeah. Cassidy. It's Paul Newman. Maybe, maybe I'm. 
Yeah. Um, I think you're mixing hey, up your Newmans. Okay. Uh, oh, you yeah. saw Cool Hand mm-hmm. Luke. Cool Hand Luke. That's cool what Hand it was. Luke. There you right. go. I was yeah. trying to think of which I had my Newman movies mixed up. Um, all right. So let's dive into episode five. Um, yeah. The salmon. I mean, so first of all, there's when there, there are moments that happen on a show that are so deeply emotional, like the Sam and Ellie moment in the, you know, the end of episode five. Um, yeah. At the end of the day, you're there to do your job, to get the shots and get everything looking the way you want it to look thematically and narratively. Um, mm-hmm. But I would have to imagine that there's an emotional aspect of your personal mindset when you're filming sequences like this. Um, mm-hmm. And I just wonder, like, maybe like, can you walk me through that particular sequence with Sam and Ellie and, and, and the showing of the bites and, and, and everything that happens with that's tragically happens after that with the brother yeah. and everything. I mean, it's, it's, it's really, you know, brutal to watch, but I wanted to know kind of mentally what you, where were you at uh, on, a, on a personal level, mentally having to capture those images, but also, you know, how do you keep that separate? Like you obviously have to do your job, but you you have to know you're filming a moment that's going to be very impactful for audiences. Yeah, you do. Uh, and it, it massively spills over. I mean, like, you know, there were there were people crying on set that day. No question. Um, you know, when it's happening, it's real. Um, you just approach it with with respect. Um, yeah, oh God, I mean, it's so particularly that that room. To, for those two scenes was so heavy. <laughs> there was such a like weight to it because it was quite a boxy little room. There's a little bit of cabin fever happening. And we shot the kids doing their nighttime stuff and, and the adults first. And then the next day we did the morning stuff. And I just, I felt like everyone wanted to get to the hard stuff to get it yeah. done. You know, kind of like you watching it, probably like if you remembered what's going to happen, if you knew what's going to happen, like I watched I didn't. it. With... OK, right. Well, so watching it with my wife, she was just like, oh, it's just all, oh, God, you know, she just knew what was coming. And that's <laughs> kind of what it honestly, that's what it was like. So there was a lot of technical stuff for how we how I wanted to like the night stuff and how I wanted to do the day stuff. And there's a lot of blocking. I mean, quite a small room and we needed um we needed Sam and Ellie to fall into the room and wrestle and the two guys to be far enough away that they couldn't instantly grab him off. And the gun had to be, you know, there's a lot of like itty bitty stuff to figure out. But then once you figure that out, really, you just need a camera on each character and just let them be brilliant. Um, I, I just think like all the three main performances in that room are just so good. Uh, like Bella's face, like, God, I just she was just doing so much. She's so good. Uh, Lamar as, you know, the brother, the father figure. Oh God, I just found it. It was deeply emotional to shoot. Not pleasurable at all, um, but that's okay um, because it sort of was more important than that. Um, so yeah, it's tough. It's tough. I mean, it's not real in the end, but then it's real emotions, and you're channeling those real emotions, and you know it's going to move people. And I've been, I've got like, it's really like weird, but watching those reaction videos that people post on YouTube is so. Have you watched those? Oh. Well, I have, I do now. Um, <laughs> it's like, it's like, that's like, I've, you've, I've never been able to do that before. I've never been able to like watch someone watch our work so honestly and directly and just look them in the eye and see that they're, and it's amazing actually how intelligent most the average watcher is now, you know, like there's a lot of conversations on set about like, is this too subtle or too obvious? Like are, are the audience going to pick it up? And um, every, everyone gets everything it feels like it's it's really been very gratifying to watch yeah there's a big difference between episodes where we're staring at our phones at or a show like the last of us where we're completely (laughs) immersed for for an hour so 
big yeah. difference. I'm sorry, Kev. What were you going to no, say? I was just wondering in that moment when you're talking about Bella's face, like, yeah. do you know when you have it? Like, do you know when, like, cause I, I would, I mean, I'm imagining they did that scene multiple times, but like, was there a moment where you realized that that was the one and did that one end up making the cut? Yeah. Um, well, what I'd say is Bella is so good that it's always usable. So, you know, like, so take one, it's like, holy shit, she's doing some really, like, hope, like, I think we got it, but I think we yeah. also go again, because who knows what she's going to do. And, and and I think with, yeah, Bella, really, you can rely on take one, um, which isn't always the case with even, you know, much more famous, more experienced actors. Um, sometimes they, they have to sort of figure it out and get into it. With her, take one is always great. Um, and then it's a case of time. It's a case of what she wants to do. Um, she's the sort of actor who will say, you know, I think I want one more. And you just respect that. And usually she's right and she'll give you something even better. I mean, with tears, there's very much like you've got to be it's all about sensitivity. You've just got to be there to support her. And if she's like. I'd like to do another take. Let's go quickly. You're just like, yep, done, ready, go. Everyone out the room, shoot. And you just shoot mm. and you just get it. And then, then, yeah, I guess it's a case of just time in the day, what we feel that we're taking out of Bella. Um, cause, cause it's emotionally exhausting, physically exhausting to do that stuff. And you, you know, you don't want take 75, please, Bella. It's just not necessary. <laughs> So this is not uh, a David Fincher movie. Come on, guys. Exactly. Well, <laughs> to mind for me as well. Um, so yeah, it's probably on a scene like that. I don't actually remember, but maybe we did it two or three times on Bella's face, um, and that was probably I, I am like I say, I reckon we had it in one. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I mean, you're talking about the emotional aspect of it. Um, it that reaches a point when you have to pass the baton onto somebody else. And as an enormous fan of the show, you know what's coming. You know, like we've had. Yeah. Storm Reed has been on the show uh, promoting one of her movies missing and she yeah. discussed her episode, but like very briefly discussed her upcoming episode and fans of the, yeah. of the game know where it's going. How difficult is it to to leave your part, to, to move on and to let somebody else sort of take the rest of the journey? It's tough. Yeah. Well, yeah. So again, the nonlinear thing makes all of this very strange. So that mm. episode. Um, I don't know if it's been announced. I don't want to spoil anything, but that obviously you. Know I don't that. think it is. No, I think it's. Yeah, I know she's coming. Yeah. But I don't think I know what episode it's, it is. It's coming up. I don't think people know the number necessarily, but anyway, uh, it doesn't. This doesn't really matter. But um, that was shot before we did episodes four and five, and I okay. did shoot a couple days of that episode, so did get oh, to wow. meet work with her only as a favor the dp had to go do something or whatever and, and i stepped in and covered for a couple days so i got a little taste of that episode and actually that is when we do collaborate a lot more because that isn't my episode then i have to be invisible it's a case of copying their handwriting and and basically it's not a case of i think we should do this it's you tell me what you want and i'll just do exactly what you want you want to be completely invisible in those situations so yeah for that for that one it was okay because i was still on the job i still had stuff to come the hard one for me was episode nine because um i i was in calgary for the full year for the full shoot but i did leave two weeks before they wrapped uh to go have baby conrad uh my <laughs> wife very pregnant and i had to get home uh and i was done with my main episodes uh so instead of doing a bit of additional photography and reshoots and stuff i went back to england and i didn't get to, oh, i don't want to say anything but i didn't get to do some of the really key scenes in the game Oh God, I don't want to spoil anything. Anything uh, yeah, I say, no, no, no. I know, uh, I know. Yeah, but there yeah. was some really cool stuff that they got to do that 
God, I would have loved to do. I really would have. Yeah. But, you know, it, for me, it's like take the win. Like I got to work on like a dream job. Um, and, and it actually it's the same for season two. Like I would love to go back and do season two, but schedules and directors, you just never know how these things are going to go. So if if it doesn't happen, I'm still just so glad I got to do season one. So, right. um, but yeah, you know, I will be banging on Craig Mason's door. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. Evan, people listen to our show because for a lot of different reasons, but they want to they want to learn about filmmaking and choices. And we just had M Night Shyamalan on for Knock at the Cabin, and it was that yeah. was like a masterfully shot film. Like this, the selective focus, the use of frame, and the, and the dolly zoom zollies, everything they were doing was incredible. Yeah. But I remember when episode three aired you had a thread of some of the shots and people were like pointing out different uses of framing and focus that you were using. Um, mm. And I kind of wanted maybe if you could walk through maybe one or two shots that were thematically important to you that were designed specifically in the way they were shot and focused and lit to express a certain narrative reason. And, and like when I, when I watch it, a lot of that stuff becomes subconscious because like you're watching mm. it as a viewer and you, you, you know, you see a dolly zoom in Jaws and you see Roy Scheider seeing the shark for the first time. While mm. you might not know technically what's going on there, you know that you feel a deep level of anxiety because of the way the camera and, yeah. and the way the way the camera, you know, the, the focus or whatever is pulling away. So can you maybe walk through one or two shots of episode three? I, I liked how you broke it down, but the mm. thematics and the narratives and even down to like the plate being turned and, and, and just things like that. But like. I just want people to know kind of what goes into that decision process. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. God, I mean, it's hard to know where to start because every single shot should have thought behind it. That's that's a key thing. Like there's a dirty word right. in the industry that's coverage. And coverage is basically <laughs> we have a scene and so you need a wide shot, a mid shot and a close shot of every character and that's coverage, right? And so we really tried to not ever just cover a scene. Every shot has to have intention. The lens that we're using, how physically close we are, the information that's in the frame, how on the eye line, how wide of the eye line, all these things subconsciously just just edge little things bring certain things into focus quite literally um all those decisions are important um so to well to touch on one that you mentioned like the plate thing so when we have um nick and murray for their first dinner scene in that room we have to talk about what they're both thinking we have to talk about okay what's he thinking he's exploring this place can he trust this guy he's this eternal optimist so he's not you know blah 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 and then we've got nick who's gonna come out with the plates but so we have to sort of block that scene figure out where we want them to sit but we're also sort of pre-blocking the final dinner because we yes. know we know that we want them to sit that far apart we want them to come out through the door we want all of these this symmetry so we have to sort of make both scenes work when we shoot the first one. <laughs> so it's a case of this is where they're going to be for the first meal. This is where they're going to be for the last meal. This is how he comes out. You know, all of those things that it's so gratifying to see people notice on Twitter. They're just conversations that we're having. And, and you're just constantly having to sort of challenge each other and keep thinking about things. And a lot of the relationship that a director and a DP have is to sort of challenge each other and ask questions of each other and sort of be like, is this the best way we can do it? Is, does this make sense? Is Are the audience going to remember how he came out 
you know and and things like that little plate it just draws attention to it and and mm. it's amazing that that makes people cry that makes people laugh it's it really elicits a, a reaction from something so small um but it just you just build all those things up and then it just kind of washes over you as like a, a whole thing and sometimes there's one that's on instagram uh, on twitter and instagram at the moment that's from episode five where um sam has the orange paint across his eyes and there's a moment where henry is peeking out of the window and the reflection of the uh, laundromat is across his eyes and a lot of people wow. have picked that out and a couple of people have said like is that intentional and and the truth is that is one of those sort of it's sort of a happy accident it's not like oh, we wow. well it's not like we designed the laundromat to have an orange sign and made sure it was the perfect distance away but we did think about the fact that wouldn't it be cool to find an opportunity to do that with something so in an earlier scene when they're walking um to meet uh edelstein um I, I had I designed the lighting so there were these slashes of orange light and I was hoping that basically uh, Lamar who plays uh, Henry would sort of stop for a beat and if he was going to take a beat I was going to make sure that he had this this light doing that thing the way it worked out is we just needed to get them through quicker so there is like a freeze frame no one's actually picked this out yet um, that has it on his eyes and is another example of that but it's kind of blinking you miss it so then when it got to when we got to the, the that laundry mat scene and he pokes his head up on the monitor, you just see it and it's like, oh, it's the thing. It's the thing we wanted. So then you just make sure that the next time he does it, he finds that perfect position and the angle's correct. So it kind of, it, it, it's a kind of happy accident, but you're sort of looking for those happy accidents and you've thought about it and you're aware of it. So it's a weird thing. Like people sometimes want everything to be so perfectly designed, but it doesn't always work like that. Sometimes you you design it one place, it doesn't work, and then it just presents itself to you organically somewhere else. And you go, there it is. Let's grab it. Yeah. I want Evan wow. to take over like The Bachelor or something and just wow. put that level of thought into a reality television <laughs> Oh, much thought that goes into these general shots. You know, you wow. can just shoot stuff, Evan. It's okay. The, the yeah, audience will incredible. consume it. We're okay with that. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. There's a reason why this show stands out. And there's a reason why, you know, these direct to the video game adaptations are, are so difficult to to get right. Um, and especially for a game that's so beloved like Last of Us and, and yeah. that has such a cinematic element to it. And I, I think you, everybody on the team needs to be commended for the work that's been done. It's been an incredible ride so far. Uh, and the rest of us can't wait to see where it goes from this point. So uh, thank, thank you. you so much for coming on, man. We really appreciate getting to pick your brain oh, for the work pleasure. you've been able to do. And uh, hopefully as you continue to go into season two, Craig, if you're listening to this, uh, <laughs> employ this man. He's got a, a Conrad to feed at this point yeah. now. And uh, we just <laughs> want to see uh, you continuing to do great work. Evan. So thanks for joining the show. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you both. And shout out to Evan, by the way, who came on the show because of Twitter. We, we I just DM'd him and he came on. But as I, as Sean mentioned, go back and watch his episodes again, three, four, and five, and look for all these little visual things. There's so much layered in there. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing what else you do, man. Thank you for coming on, man. Appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. We want to thank Evan Bolter for stopping by on Real Blend. I had a blast having him on. We, Of course, we love geeking out about cinematography. He has some really exciting projects coming out as well, too, uh, that we were not able to necessarily talk about. But I think you guys will know them when they come up. Uh, so let us know on social media if you enjoyed this interview and if you want us to get Evan back on the show. Uh, and also just let us know how you thought the interview went. We'd love to hear from you guys. 
uh, via our different social media platforms. And we want to make sure that you guys are still digging the types of interviews that we put together. This is a very busy week. Uh, obviously, New Marvel, uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is going to be opening. So we will review that on the main show when all the guys are together um, and make sure you keep it here on Real Blend because we have a few really um, fun, fun interviews banked that you guys are going to enjoy. Uh, and we're trying to put together a lot more exciting ones uh, to bring to you guys in the near future. So hit subscribe, turn on your notifications, and we'll meet you back here when a new episode of Real Blend is ready for you guys.